Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 195 of the podcast that was originally recorded on March 8th of 2018. This episode is a little different. We actually do an interview this episode. My co-host Eric and I actually talk to Mike Young, the communication lead from Plan B Games. We talk about some of his history of gaming. We talk about some of Plan B and what they're planning for the coming year, as well as what Mike is looking forward to playing in 2018. Hope you enjoyed the episode. everyone this is joe from what i'm playing now and welcome to another episode of the what i'm playing now podcast we are in episode 195 of the podcast and today once again i have my co-host eric with me eric how you doing i'm doing okay joe how you doing i'm doing great and we also have another voice on the line with us we have mike young communication lead from plan b games with us mike how are you doing this evening i'm doing wonderful guys thank you for inviting me no problem so Eric was stalking Facebook and everything, and it seems like he was chatting a little bit um, and happened to get in touch with you, and we got your email, and we were like, yeah, let's get someone from Plan B on the show. Both of us will say up front, we're big fans of Plan B games. So far, the games you guys have produced, we like. I mean, my my wife is a huge fan of Century Spice Road. We can't wait for the second one to come out, the Eastern game to come out. So I know Eric's... Eric's a fan too. Yeah, I'll be pretty much buying everything you guys put out. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to sit here and talk like that all day. We're going to come up with some questions and have some chats and kind of just get a little bit of your gaming history and stuff. Uh, tell us. Let's let's start there. Tell us a little about your gaming history. I mean, have you played games your whole life? What are some of your earlier memories of some of the games you played? And you know, what did you play growing up? Yeah, sure. So. Um... You know, I'm a, I'm a product of the 80s. My uh, parents, we, we lived in the Midwest. So um, then we, we moved to Germany when we were kids. So we played quite a few of, like, European card games. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Millborn, mm -hmm. as well as some of your classic, uh, uh, you know, Mattel, Parker Brother games growing up. Uh, but coming back to Indianapolis when I was 12, or excuse me, when I was 10, um, yeah, I mean, it was just very much ingrained in the culture there like a lot of trick-taking games like I, I love hearts and spades and euchre especially um and somewhere around 12 or 13 i picked up um um oh my gosh i'm blanking it now it's that uh, it's that miniatures combat game that everyone loves the um the fantasy one from the hero? from the hero, hero quest. quest yes hero quest i'm sorry I should I should know that I don't know what happened to my copy, but yeah, my buddies and I got into that, and I mean we did some console gaming as well, but uh, got into Magic the Gathering and um, uh, slowly drifted into Euroland. So yeah, more or less, I would say probably most of my life I've been playing games of some sort. Sounds like we have a fairly same history there. Did you ever play any RPGs or anything growing up? Because I know when I was about 12, 13, that's when Dungeons & Dragons hit and I was kind of like one of the first ones to introduce that to my group of friends. I wish. Like, I think I would love it, but I, I've, I, I'll be honest, I've never played like a full campaign. I've only done like okay. little one-off scenarios, but uh, no one in my neighborhood wanted to do D&D. &D. Like, everyone was either into Super Nintendo yeah. or um, casual copy gaming, so... But I'm always open for it, and, and I even think my wife would get into it as, as a non-gamer. She loves, like, the narrative aspects of, of, of games, so... That's cool. See, Joe, we're kind of in the same boat there, together, me and Mike. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? Well, because, you know, we, we were the... the <laughs> I'm more than 90s. I was born in the 80s. That's but... true. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, we had... Well, we had a Sega, not a Nintendo, but... You always remind me of my age, Eric, and I just love that so much. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I'm here for. I got to keep you honest. <laughs> so, you played a lot of games growing up. We were just talking about some of the games we recently played. Um, do you have a normal game group that you kind of hang out with? Um, that you, do you get together weekly, or is there something that you kind of go to locally? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm based in Jacksonville, so... Um... We have a we have a biweekly game group that we get together um, at a local church, and we we play for four or five six hours. 
Um, I do a little bit of solo playing, you know, throughout the workday uh, because I work from home and um, I'll do plenty of app play. And, and if I have an opportunity, I'll play with uh, friends whenever things pop up or we'll host it, you know, once, maybe once a month, once every other month, we'll host people over at our house. That's cool. That's something that we've been trying to do over here some is trying to do a little more hosting at our house rather than constantly going down to like friendly local game store or something. What really the, I think the challenge for for most of us and at least us we have three kids, right? We have an 11 year old girl, a two year old boy, and a not even one year old, and uh, it's really just tricky to justify getting out, yeah, and gaming for a couple hours and just ignoring the little ones, you know, or pawning them off on in laws. So hosting makes it a lot easier come to us we'll put them to bed come to us (laughs) i've had i've had several people tell us that because my wife and i we just have furry kids we have cats and dogs and eric's a newlywed so (laughs) he's newer to marriage so he doesn't have kids so it's usually easier for us to do things at different times oh yeah yeah no i get it If, if we had the flexibility you know, if, if time was uh, infinite, I'd be there in a heartbeat. But it's just tough to justify breaking away from the family. Wait, now I, I got a question now. So if if you're gaming at the house with everyone, and I'm going to do this from my experience, but um, do you guys have any uh, bragging rights in your in your group? <laughs> like, for for instance, I, I'm going to... I'm gonna flex my muscles here because uh, I'm currently our our, uh, our games group uh, our board game champion, which that also includes a a title belt too. <laughs> wish I wish I had a picture I could show you that right now, but it's currently sitting at my brother's house. But we have a a full championship belt. And I, Mike, I have seen the belt. It is it is quite hilarious. <laughs> I I thought that like so like for some games that are just like on repeat play over at our house. Like there was a there was a period of a, a year or two where I think we played Ticket Ride about two or three hundred times, and I thought it'd be the coolest wow. thing to get a conductor cap for whoever won the last game so they can wear it <laughs> because we would play two or three games in a row. But uh, no 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 explicit bragging rights. Um, my wife will rub it in my face if she beats me, uh, or if I lose. That's that's or, close enough to a win for her. That's all. It's all of our wives. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> when I look, I this. I started this year to try to do BG stats a lot more. I had I had the app last year on my phone, but this year in January I kind of made it. You know, my my resolution besides some other resolutions that I've made. I was like, I'm, I'm going to keep better track of the games I played just so I don't have to kind of flip through the podcast and read what I played throughout the year because that's normally what I do at the end of the year. Okay, let me just scroll through every podcast to see what I've talked about. I'm trying to use BG stats. I was trying to do like maybe a 1 by 100 challenge, which I'm going to be very easily knock out the way I play games. But, yeah, if I look in there and look at my wife's stats, it's, she, I, she probably wins more than 50% of the time. It's I'm just accustomed to it, and I just, yep, okay, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Well, you know, we were we were playing. It's so funny. We were playing Azul a couple weeks ago, and my wife's not a heavy gamer. You know, she she's a very casual gamer. Um, but uh, I was trying to explain to her the concept of king making because we were playing with the in laws, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Okay, uh, you know, talking to her mom. Okay, if you do this and if you do this, Mike can't do this. Like she's, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're driving <laughs> me crazy. You know, this is what you're doing. She's like, I, I don't care. I'm I'm gonna lose. I just want to make sure you don't win. And I'm like, that's what king making is. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever had to have my my wife worry worry about doing something like that. <laughs> no, no, she she's a she's a we she's a she's a pretty competitive gamer. When she gets into it, she's very competitive. So, and I, I'm a little competitive, but put us put us two together, and it's like bunting heads a little bit. Oh yeah, that's yes. And I, I just have the problem where it's the first game that we play together. If it's brand new, I'm gonna win it. And then I will never win it again. <laughs> well, no, and that's the, the funny thing is, uh, my mother-in-law is like, you know, you know, the reason, you know, because because my wife's like, he, he always wins. He thinks he's so smug, and he thinks he knows everything, you know. And, and my my uh, mother-in-law is like, well, it's because he spends all this time reading rule books and doing this. I'm like, that's because I have to teach it to you guys, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like I, if we're gonna play a new game, it's like it, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that you guys are aware of what the rules are and. So she's like, no, no, I think you're trying to do it to get all the ins and outs. I'm like, not really. 
you know, if we're going to play a medium Euro, there's, there's a little bit more going on there. So, so how long have you been with plan B and how did you get into the position that you're currently in at the company? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think my official hire date was, uh, basically the end of June in, of last year. Okay. Um, but I had worked with, um, for people who may not know, I worked with, um, F2Z entertainment, which, um, F2Z domestically in the U S that's Z-Man and Plathead games. Right. And in Canada, that was Philos- uh, philosophia. I'd worked with them, um, on a volunteer basis, as well as a, like a freelance basis for four or five years, volunteering, doing editing, copy editing, um, working with their, uh, their game department and their development department. So I had spent quite a bit of time there. Um, and when the opportunity came up, because they, the, this position was vacant for a couple months, um, I had reached out to them because I was interviewing with a different publisher. And as soon as they found out that I was interested in getting into the hobby, I had a job offer within 24 hours. Oh, wow. You know, you know we didn't know that you were looking. Come on on. You know, we'll, we'll fly out to Canada next week. Let's work out the details, and we'll get you on board. So, That's awesome. And you get to work from home, too, which is icing on the cake as far as i'm concerned <laughs> well yeah i i, I tease my co-workers because my commute's going over the choo-choo tracks that the kids leave by, behind and um and and trying to make a, a skirt around the um the kitchen you know before i can before i can hit it at 8 30 <laughs> that's awesome making me jealous eric, over here i was eric you want to take the next question no i i that was an interesting one because I, I was going to go back through and say, okay, I completely forgot the history of everything, but we completely went through that just now. And I'm like, oh, yay. Because I knew, oh, Z-Man, they split up and there's other things and Plan B came out with that. So, some people aren't really familiar with, with the whole story of, of that. But like, so F2Z Entertainment was was. Uh, purchased by Asmodee. I think a lot of people knew that, but um, I think the really clever thing with that is that um, uh, Sophie, who is the then president, she didn't want to sell, but she had a partner, so she has to bring this offer to them, and uh, the partner said yes, so she ended up saying, okay, well, let's go to the negotiation table. I'm not sure what she sold for. That's none of my business, but the clever thing is that she was able to walk away with Pretzel Games, which is one of our imprints, the Dexterity line, Right. Um, able to walk away with the no, like not having to sign a non compete, and she walked away with um, Caravan, which is now Century Spice Road, um, as an IP. Like Asmodee let her take it with her, wow. which was a smash success for us. You know, I think we're over 150 thousand units sold. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So last, yeah. Last year, well, I think you guys had kind of released it right around Origins last year. Yep, we had a soft launch at um, at the, the gathering of friends. Um, mm-hmm. Just you know, there's some tastemakers there, and we just wanted to get it out there. But they did their their product launch at Origins, and right. um, it sold out at Origins. It sold out at retail within a couple weeks, and uh, yeah, we took it from there. Gen Con, we released the the Golem edition of the uh, game, which we had a lot of fan acclaim for people. I mean, they when it was originally introduced as Caravan, they wanted to do a pick your own flavor kind of. Um, kind of uh experiment like you know choose whichever one you want more um a lot of distributors didn't want to take the risk on it i'm assuming because one cell would cannibalize the other right um so they so they went with their tried and true with the mediterranean but um, yeah we released golem there and that was a smash success golem golem is gorgeous you guys squeezed two sales out of me for that one (laughs) <laughs> what's this you squeeze two sales out of that because i bought century but when I, when i first heard of everything i'm like oh that golem edition looks really sweet and then it wasn't coming out at that time and then you announced it and i said well i already have spice road but i'm getting the golem as well so you got two two copies sold from me you know, it it wasn't it wasn't our intention for that because we just we had a lot of clamor after we'd already made the original print run for 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 Spice Road, but mm-hmm. but I wasn't on board quite yet. You know, I would I had already pre-ordered uh, Spice Road. I, I knew it was going to be great. I saw it went back in Z-Man days, um, and I had and um, once I got on board and I discovered that we we're doing Golem, I'm like I can't take that from our Gen Con sales because I didn't know how many we would have. So I went ahead and paid full retail as well for it because. Uh, I figured my my daughter would like it. She loves manga, 
or yeah. manga and and anime so it's just the brighter colors it's just it's just nicer same game game's great but just a little bit more appealing for her. Yeah, Mike, you better you better st- speak Japanese words correctly because my wife will will get on you for that one. <laughs> that's that's the only word I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt. Manga. Yeah, because we had, we had ordered ours from Plan B, and I think Eric and I got our copies right around the same time, and that was right before Origins. So my wife and I took our copy with us to Origins, and we were playing up on the bar on the second floor, and like everybody was like coming around. You're like, oh, what is this? You know, are you, oh, that's Century Spice Road, and they were asking all about it and everything. And you know, we were just sitting there at the bar, just having a few beers, just playing a couple of games of it, and it was like everybody was really interested in it. <laughs> well, so after I got hired, I went down to Dice Tower con uh, i convinced them to to cover my ticket and, and a room there so I, I went down to dice tower con and i said i'm gonna you know let me let me take a play mat with me because i didn't order one and uh oh my gosh i think i was like the most popular person at, at the convention because the um they didn't have one in their inventory for the library so um i was just posting on their facebook group hey guys i'm, I'm century's gonna open up in about 10 minutes and i just have people flock in our table um and it's it's kind of surprised me as how popular it was. Not that it's not a good game, but um, it was definitely some hotness. It it definitely hit at the right time, um, because it seems like I mean, last year I remembered Origins. Your booth was just slam packed the whole time. I mean, and it seems like it was just everybody wanted a copy of Century that was there. It was one of the hottest games probably at Origins last year. Well, I, I really do think so. I mean, I'm obviously a little biased, but, um, you know, knowing what, what I know on sales and just the amount of demand, and I run their social media, so the volume of requests that I get in for, you know, when, when when's things going to be restocked, when's Golem going to come out, da 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 da, da um, it doesn't surprise me, so... And I, and I think it's just, I think it's just a, just a nicely placed game. It's not too heavy, it's not hard, um, it's accessible for gamers, like hardcore gamers, but still very easy to learn. So, yeah, my wife and I love lighter games, and we play up to the heaviest euros. And my wife's good at them too. Um, so it's I am blessed to have a companion and a spouse that will play super light things, but will also go because I love heavy games. And she will she'll hit the table and run with them, and she's a trooper and can hang with the big boys. <laughs> I, I get, uh, I get resistance and Mysterium. <laughs> Wait, I, I want to jump in here real quick. Go Joe, for it. Go for I, it Eric. I have a random question that came up. So you, you said century sold around like 150,000 copies roughly. Uh, um, that's a, that's a ballpark. Yeah. Th- but somewhere just, around there. The, the question is what, how many units does it take to sell a game where you guys would consider it a smashing success or or a failure or somewhere in the middle of the road there well you know it's 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 kind of tough to say because we're really conservative when it comes to ordering um our first print runs are always going to be pre-order print runs through the distributor um and an additional thousand or two for the web store as well as for conventions so the, the Century pre-order number was over 60,000, um, which is a massive, massive first print run. Now, that's international. It's not just uh, U.S., mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I, I don't think we have a set standard because we don't want to, uh, we don't want to over-invest in titles and not, sh- you know, not sure how they're going to turn out. Um, the worst thing that you can have as a publisher is product just, what's not collecting dust on our shelves so much, but it's collecting dust on uh, distributor shelves. The products already been sold to them. Um, but you want to make sure that if you release something, the distributors are really attracted to it because it's selling well, because people are interested in it. So I don't think there's a hard number for us that we think is a smash success or a failure. It's We want to see what that initial print run looks like, and then subsequent print runs will um, we'll order a little bit more if it does well. So... Okay. But yeah, a lot of our ordering is just almost purely on, on uh, that first print run. It's purely on print order or pre-orders. So take that take that with the with a grain of salt. And sometimes that has to be scary because sometimes you don't know if a game's going to be a hit or not. So you're right. like, how much of a chance do we take? 
So I've yeah, I've talked to other publishers before. They're always just like, you know, it's you know, it's it's sometimes it's a guessing game. <laughs> well, I mean, that's and that's what it was before. Like, you know, I remember um, back in Z-Man days, like they 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 had got my favorite game of all time, Terra Mystica. Their initial print order was two thousand or three thousand for the U.S. Oh wow! And they were out for nine months between prints. So, um, and that game's sold incredibly well for them. But you know, you you can't you you don't want to overorder and diminish your brand's value or have such an expensive skew sitting on distributor shelves because they're going to be a little less likely to want to order from you again. Yeah. So since we're on, since we're on the topic of topic of publishing, how do you guys decide what games you're going to publish? I mean, what do, do you guys take submissions? Do you, are yeah. you guys looking for different things or, you know, how do you guys decide like, how, like with Azul? I mean, that was, that was another hit for you guys. So, um, I'll talk about Azul in just a sec because that's a little bit of a different story. But typically, when it comes to it, uh, you know, I'm I'm not acquisitions. We actually have, um, you know, we usually direct it to one of our developers, um, or to the president, or you know, we'll, we'll get someone involved who's in the development process mm-hmm. to to do a pitch to. But yeah, we're always open for for ideas. My my best advice is to you know send it to our email box uh, info at Plan B Games. Um, I'll direct it to whoever it needs to go to because we have four product lines. We have Pretzel, which is dexterity games. We have Plan B, which is going to be more or less a gateway Euro. Um, you know, the, the goal is to make it very accessible. We have Next Move, which was as Azul's new home. That's going to be purely abstracts. And we have Eggert Spiele, which is your medium to heavy Euro line. So uh, if you have one of those classifications, you can drop into one of those buckets. That's where I'm going to direct it. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's got to be a good game first and foremost, and it really helps if the publisher, or excuse me, the designer on board, is open minded to maybe retheming or to just just be open to criticism so that we can develop together. Um, but ultimately, it's it's got to be a great game. We got to be able to cut through it and see where the game elements are. Um, and if you're willing to go go with us on the ride. Uh, the development team is fantastic because now Eggertspiel does our development. And uh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll make a good game great or we'll make a great game amazing. And I think that was the case with Azul. So Azul came to us about 95% complete. Uh, Michael Kiesling, actually, it was coincidentally enough, it was actually going to go to Eggertspiel. Eggertspiel had hit, picked up this game. Um, but it was just a little too light for their line after we had acquired them. We thought that this was just, just it just didn't hit what we were hoping to hit for its um, demographics. And we had Coimbra for Plan B. So we swapped titles. They got Coimbra. We took Azul because Coimbra is just a little too heavy for Plan B. Um, and we gave it to the art team to uh, update it because originally the, the game was, uh, I don't even remember, it was, it was a much more bland theme. Um, but I think, I think with what the art team did really made it pop, you know, uh, the game design was, was, was there, but, um, be able to market a little differently and it, it's, uh, it's, it's been huge, like a rousing success for us. Definitely the game of SM. So, but yeah, really it's just, if it, does it hit one of our classifications, one of our imprints? And if it does, you know, we're looking for great games. Um, we're looking to make sure that it's accessible. I mean, especially for Plan B, it's got to be accessible. It's got to be fun, and we want it to be addictive. That you can pick it up and play in less than an hour. That you can teach your friends and family. So, so since we're talking about, since we're on the topic of publishing, still, do you at the beginning of a year, do you guys have like a set number of games you're looking to maybe publish for the year, or do you guys kind of just say, let's keep our eyes out for things? You know, we're you know, we're just going to maybe try to hit hit a certain number, or do you guys just go with the flow throughout the year? Well, uh, there's a lot of planning involved because um, with us specifically, you know, we don't consider ourselves a domestic publisher. We're not just publishing for the U.S. Um, we consider ourselves an interna- international publisher. So the, the critical element there is planning, and we do biannual meetings or semi-annual meetings, I should say, right? Um, so we'll meet in December. We'll meet in June, and in those meetings – um, we'll we'll drag out 15, 20 prototypes that we've been submissions. We'll play them all. We'll see what our thoughts are. Are they good? Are they not good? Is this something we can do? Is this something we can, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of go through them. 
and then we work out our basically our product slate for the year um, or like for the next nine to 12 months comfortably. So everything that's coming out until uh, Gen Con, we played back in December in probably like a 95% finalized state. Now it's just getting the art thrown on and um, uh, now bringing it to our, our international partners to, to shop them. So a target number that we go for, probably for plan B, probably two titles, three titles a year at most. Next move will be probably two titles. Pretzel will probably be one title. And Eggert Spiel, one or two. Um, it's not quite a Days of Wonder approach where it's, you know, one title a year, it's super special, but we're going to give them a lot of TLC and make sure that when we present a game that it's, you know, as good as it can be from gameplay all the way to components. And rather than push it out just to push it out, we'd rather have a, a game that's going to be rock solid and attract a lot of attention. So, and I think, you know, publishers like this who will throw out... 15 games in a quarter yeah. and they're just you might have something that sticks but eh. quality over quantity right i mean it's it's a good strategy i get it it's it's working for, it's it's working for you guys i mean we it's <laughs> it definitely is i mean like we said the games you guys are putting out are great <laughs> and my wallet thanks you <laughs> I, I am good with good with a few good games a year instead of twenty mediocre to so so games. It, you know, it's funny. I had um I had um someone on social media tell us like, hey, if we would uh we would just sign up blindly for a Plan B subscription box, like just ship us everything that comes out in that six month period because um just based on your track record. And I'm like, we've only put out a, like a, a year's worth of games. Like that's really impressive to kind of have that, uh, that a trust with an audience and with your fan base. I don't think it's something we're going to do, but, but yeah, we, we, that's kind of our focus is, is making the game as good as possible. So the presentation's um, uh, impeccable and the gameplay is as good as it can be. So. And it's not like you guys are completely new to it. So you at least have more experience than, brand new companies well you know that's that, and that's the other thing like I, you know so much there's a lot of things that i factor into the secret of our success i mean we have industry veterans in here like sophie's been in the industry for 15 20 years uh martin bouchard who is our marketing guy been in the industry for 15 20 years i've been working with them for five years but our graphic design team has been with them like this was hand selected by sophie 10 years five ten years um you know, Chris Williams, who is our in-house illustrator, he's known for doing the pandemic uh, art, pandemic season one, pandemic season two, uh, Merchants and Marauders. He did Azul. He did, um, he's done art for the upcoming titles. He's just incredibly versatile and um, more or less an art director. He's a graphic designer, but he's kind of a partner with Chris, uh, Philippe Garon. Oh my gosh, like this, like these two are geniuses together because everything they touch is amazing. Philippe focuses more on the art direction and like the components. So Azul's tiles may have been cardboard punch outs or wood, but um, Philippe saw that maybe it'd be better if it was resin tiles so they just feel weightier and nicer in your hands. So uh, the team's just, it's, it's chock full of veterans who just understand what people really like. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he got a bonus for that decision because that was a damn good one. I'll say. I'll, I'll ask. Speaking of those tiles, I see you guys have some collectors' tiles coming out for Azul. Right. So we we um we wanted to celebrate Azul migrating over to Next Move Games. So Philippe had went to task on creating some new tiles just just for fun. Um, cause he thought it'd be kind of neat just to do it as a little pet project. So if he approved it, so we said, okay, well, we'll order a small print run, we'll call them collectors and, and, um, scheme them in the colors of the new label, which is uh, teal and, um, um, my brain's not working orange. So, uh, it's just like a little, a little nod to the new home for Azul, but yeah, they, uh, they look great. They're fantastic. You guys have a release date on those yet? Um, I don't have a street date yet because they're in route to us, but I think that they're going to go live because it's going to be exclusive to us on our web store, but I think it's going to go live by the end of the month, um, for at least for pre-orders. I, I think we're expecting them in within four weeks. All right, because I, I saw that Facebook post like yeah, the I think other I day, and too. I'm like, 
okay, I, I want to get these right now. And then I'm sitting there trying to order them. And it's like, no, you can't do that. So you're like, you're like, take my money, please. <laughs> I had a lot of messages. On that. I, was like, I was like, guys, we need, we need to update the website real quick here. Just like make sure that they know that it's dated that we, you know, we're not taking orders until a couple more weeks. So, but yeah, I've had a lot of people like, I, I want to order them. I want to order them now. Take my money. <laughs> we are eager to give you it. And, I'm, I, right and I'm sure that that's just a horrible position to be in, isn't it? <laughs> You know, it's, 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 I, you know, I, I had to actually message him today. I was like, um, we, we need to get a, we need to probably start figuring out a, a date to put this live on the website so that we can take pre-orders because um, the, the demand's there. People want to give us money and why are we refusing that? So, um, whenever we do, we'll make sure that we announce through our website as well as through social media. So if you're connected to the interwebs and I'll probably throw it on BGG, if you're connected to the interwebs in some way and you're interested, you'll probably hear something. I imagine within a week, uh, if we have a date for hard, you know, for hard date for a release as well as for uh, pre-order. Cool. Well, we're definitely going to keep an eye out for that one. And the Joker should be in stock too, as well. If you guys haven't got those, those are gorgeous. But um, definitely pick up a pair of those while you're there. Well, too bad I already have those because I was one of those pre-orders that you guys had. <laughs> well, you needed to. I mean, well, no, you need to though. It's... That's what I, I told people. Uh, you know, we we definitely want to make sure these are available for fans after the fact, but we got to reward them for their loyalty. So, mm-hmm. cheers to that. And they're really nice too. Did, I don't know if you saw them or not, Joe. I saw them. We didn't play with them when we played. I, I still don't think I have either because I'm still <laughs> trying to get through the just the normal game because it's it's still good by itself instead of just adding more to it. You do that with a lot of games in your collection. I, I, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> things will end up on my shelf here sooner or later. <laughs> it's a good thing I still get to play the games then, and then you know you you get something that you want, and then I can still play them. So, so Mike, do you think that Plan B? Do you guys think that, like some of the market that you have, do you do you kind of think you're capturing a piece that maybe nobody else? is going after or that, you know, you know, it's, it's really um, tough to say. I don't want to say that we're, um, that we've captured or owned a market because really this industry is, has demonstrated a, a remarkable amount of healthy growth in the last five, 10 years. Um, yes. And it's showing itself. But what I think that we're doing best at is that, um, I think our art's spot on, and I think that really helps having in-house art. Uh, so many companies will contract for their art, and, and that's okay. I mean, you can get like great artists to do it, but it doesn't give your uh, brand a particular like a, a certain a certain aesthetic quality or a certain voice. Um, the second thing is that our component quality, I think, is just top notch. Azul's amazing. Our upcoming release for Reef, the components are amazing in that. Um, the art direction is just, it's spot on. So um, if it's one thing I think that we're doing really wide, right is that we're great games with fantastic art and fantastic components. Um, and I think, we've, I think we've found a good price point for Plan B because all of our titles are $40 MSRP, um, which means you can go down to your, your local game shop and not break an arm and a leg, you know, spending that kind of money. Or you can order online for what, I mean, 30 bucks, $32, something like this over the cool stuff or whatever. So uh, I think the price point really helps and, and the value that you get out of that game for the price point, I think is really kind of solidifies it because there's with, with an emerging market like this, with lots of people coming in, um, you know, you're going to have some people who are going to over invest and want to go and get uh, $80 copy of this or a hundred dollar copy of this. But I think a lot of more people are timid about their, their entertainment dollars. So, having a good price point helps and knowing that you get a good quality product out of that, that like Azul, like those tiles feel good in your hand and it feels like you've spent a good 30, 40 bucks and it's, and it's a good investment. So I, I think with all those aspects, I think we're doing really well on. Yeah. It's it, your, your price point I think is perfect because you're, you're producing a triple a product at a very reasonable price. I mean, when you, when you're looking at some of the other games that are next to it on the shelf, you know, like you said, some of them eighty hundred dollars, and there are a lot of people who, you know, when we go down to the local game store, we talk to a lot of different people, and they're like, some people don't like to even look at those types of games. They'll play them, you know, but they probably don't want them in their collections. They're not, 
you know, I, I buy a lot of stuff and my wife's like, you need to stop. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. So just deal with it. <laughs> you know, so I like when games are, you know, on the less expensive side, but still have that AAA quality to them. Well, no, that's, I, I think, I think that's, I think that's kind of the, I mean, if, the, if there's a secret to the success, I think it's that it's, it's a good price point. It's the good art. It's the good components. And, um, and honestly, the gameplay is good because we're, I mean, we're, we're not going to pursue a game just to put it out. We're not looking at putting a release schedule out just to just to have it on the calendar. Um, if it's not ready, we're not going to put it out. If it's ready, we're going to be doing our best to make sure that we hit that target date. So it's our goal that that people feel really satisfied with their purchase. And um, with the exception of an occasional defect in the game, I haven't heard a single complaint about what you get out of the box. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody can complain. I think one of the things that um, is going on nowadays, I was talking with Joe on the phone before about this, is I I seem to say that it seems like games nowadays are kind of lacking in innovation and gameplay mechanics, so they have to try to find other things. And it seems like production quality is the next step, kind of like how video games currently are. There's less innovation in gameplay and it's all more about graphics and processing power and such. And I think production quality is, is the equivalent to board games nowadays. So it's, it's nice that you guys are putting good quality components into cheap games instead of us having to go out and buy, you know, like secondhand resource upgrades or something like that. Oh yeah, no, no, exactly. I think the thing that really sold me, cause I, 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 I was in touch with these guys throughout their um, throughout the tenure before they before they published their first game, and they told me, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have little bowls in there for your cubes." And I'm like, "No one does that." And not that I need it, not that I need a little bowl for my cubes, but that's amazing that I'm getting little little perks because it's things that people want. Metal coins, which you know, for a forty dollar game standard, that's pretty cool. So. Yeah, I remember when I opened up Century Spice Road, I was very impressed with just the insert, with just everything. I mean, when we took out the bowls and everything, even my wife was like, she goes, wow. She goes, we don't have to go get our plastic cups or anything. Just pull it out of the box and set it up and play. Yeah. All right, so I got another question for Mike. This one's going to be a little different. We're going to change. We're going to get off publishing and everything for a little bit. What are one of you, What's one of your favorite memories from working at Plan B or working in the game? Let's just say working in the gaming industry. Since Eric and I don't, this is this is our working in the gaming industry, our our hobby of podcasting and things like that. Right. Uh, gosh, I mean, there's there's a there's a couple, but um, you know, I think the two that come to mind, and the, the first one's really quick. I um, when I when I got in early, I, I was just very actively looking for work. Let me just you know, and I just volunteer, and I reached out to um, my then favorite publisher. Uh, 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 uh Spiel, which is um, the, pub the original publisher of Terra Mystica. And I said, guys, I really love Terra Mystica. Is there, I have to publish an expansion. Is there anything I can do to help with that? Because, um, you know, it's a uh, U.S. localization is always a little tricky. And uh, the president said, oh, yeah, yeah, here you go. And he sent me the rule set. He said, if you want to look it over, that's great. I'll send you over a copy uh, of the expansion when it comes out as a thank you um, and throw you into the credits. And it was just like so cool to send my name in print. When that came out, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah. My wife's like, oh, whatever. I don't care. But <laughs> I said, no, this means something to me. This is like really cool to think that um, that somewhere that I'm significant enough to publish uh, my name in. But um, I think with Plan B, I think probably my my favorite experience when um, is is probably when I went up to Canada because a lot of times I worked with these uh, guys uh, remotely, just through email or through Skype. But it was really cool to actually physically interact with them because um, we did a global meeting. We had people coming in from Hamburg, uh, from the Eggert team. We had me coming in from Florida and them in Montreal. So it was just really nice to be able to just interact physically in, in that space and just be able to high-five your, your uh, co-workers, so to speak. That's cool. That's And that and that, I could see how that would be kind of interesting because, you know, Eric and I go into an office every day, so it's definitely different from what you experience you know, having to work remotely and everything and not having that whole social, you know, you can still have some social interaction, kind of like what we're having now, but it's definitely not the same. Right, no, and that's, same and, that, and that's what it was. Like, so Chris Williams, who uh, the whole office thinks that we're like doppelgangers, but 
I, I don't. <laughs> he's more handsome than me, but um, and a lot more talented. But uh, he he you know he like he heard that I really like Kinder eggs, like Kinder surprise eggs. Growing up in Germany, um, these were this like this brand of chocolate. And they had a little toy in them and stuff like this. So he's like, oh yeah, we get those all the time in Canada. We have them all, like they're just everywhere. So he got me this giant egg. I, I kid you not, it's about the size of a football. Um, and you know, it's just it's just like it's just like a little heartwarming gift. Like I'm like, you know, wow, we're we're like pals. So that's awesome. So I know it sounds so weird, and it's like something I think a lot of us take for granted. But it was like this is cool. Like I feel like I'm really part of the team. So nice. That's 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 a good story. I like that one. All right, here's a good one. What type, what games are you looking forward to in 2018? You personally, like, what's some of the stuff that you're looking forward to? Uh, so there's, there's two or three things that I'm looking forward to. Like, I'm a, I'm a big heavy Euro fan. Um, so I'm really excited about uh, uh, our release of Coimbra, which if you guys haven't seen anything on, it's uh, it's an Agrid Spill title. It is. I, I love the designers because they co-designed Grand Austria Hotel, Lorenzo, El Magnifico, uh, Agizia. Like I love these guys. There's, it's such good designer pedigree. And when I was in, uh, when I was in office in December, we had made a mock-up so that we can play it. Um, and I didn't steal it, but I also, <laughs> but I also. <laughs> I don't steal is not the right word, but I begged and pleaded to take it with me, and they said, "Well, we got to update some of the iconography so you can have it." So um, I'm really looking forward to a final product on that because it's really, really good. Um, but, but if it's and honestly, I'm looking forward to Reef. I've never been an abstract player, but Reef's really, really good. Um, Azul was fantastic. Reef, I think, is just as good as for that accessibility and for the components. Um, I could care less about the about the theme. It's all about the gameplay and just being immersive in there. Uh, but if it's like if it's a non-work title, uh, gosh, I the two or three things that I'm looking at, um, I'm very interested in Noria, which I think was an Essen release, but um, someone's bringing that here stateside soon. Um, that looks like a very interesting game. Where it's, um, have you guys seen this or played this? Maybe that's the Sky Cloud one or something like that. I don't, I'm not sure what the theme is there because I see an airship on the cover. I know what you're talking about, though. But yeah, it's a, but like apparently, as you go on, you can build your own wheels, custom wheels, and and these wheels rotate kind of like a Zolkin mechanic, and then you like an action rondelle, and you would take certain activations on the wheel as it turns, and it looks really cool. It looks like it'd be right up my alley and very innovative. I don't know how good or bad it is, but it looks neat. Um, but I'm also interested in in this um, crime game that's on Kickstarter that you um, get like a 3D glasses. It's like Chronicles a, of Crime, crime I believe. Yes, yes, that looks re- like like that looks like a game that I like I would play with my wife because she loves detective games and she loves mystery games and this is something that and like it seems very immersive because you get on the glasses and so it looks like it'd be right up my alley. Um, but that looks in- incredibly intriguing. I, I know. I know Joe is a big fan of those of VR games that I bring over from Japan to him. <laughs> what was I was just gonna say? I can, my mind's blank on the one we played all. It's Pharaoh. It's not Favor of the Pharaoh. Wait, that's the dice game. Oh, the Which tomb. Of, am I thinking of? Tomb of Anum, Anum? Ma- yeah. Mask of Anubis. We have that. I have the follow up too that we I have not brought to to play with anyone yet, which is a uh, Mask of Moai, which is even crazier than that one. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when he first brought Mask of Anubis in there. That was crazy. We're standing around the table, and we have the cardboard thing over our heads, and we're spinning around talking and everything, and everybody's looking at us. like, what the hell are these guys playing? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, I, what I really like about this is that even though I'm a very traditional game player, like, but I like that integration with technology so that it's so that it supplements the game rather than dominates the game. You know, If I wanted to play a video game, I'd play a video game. But something that allows me to do something really unique and interesting like that, that sounds awesome. Oh, I agree. I love I love the evolution of technology into games, and I know there's a lot of people that have conversations about that. And there, some people don't like apps in their games and everything. But me, coming from an IT background, yeah, and you know, loving technology, I don't mind the the mishmash of those two, you know my board games and that stuff together. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's kind of cool, you know. And some people are like, "Oh, the app's not going to be around," and I'm like, "If it's good." people will keep it around forever. 
Yeah, you know, no, even exactly. If, even even if the company stopped doing it, there's always people. You know, there's emulators for every old Commodore sixty fours, all these old computers you can emulate on your PCs now. It's like they're they're still around and they're still popular. <laughs> no, exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I get it. I understand where they're coming from, but um, you got to be open to it because that just opens up a world of possibilities for what you can do. Oh, definitely. So when you say the game that you're coming out with, it you're pronouncing it Coimbra. Yeah, I, I so I'm, I, I got a very lazy American tongue, and I want to say <laughs> Coimbra, but I believe the per, correct pronunciation is Coimbra, Coimbra. Okay. More of like a Coimbra. That's what I saw on BGG. I saw somebody post it on BGG because we actually talked about the game once. I think um, I think once Eric Martin had posted it on BGG and one of the newer game sections. That made our What I Want to Play Now list um, on one of our podcasts a few episodes ago. And I told Eric, I go, I believe it's pronounced Queenbra because I was reading the forums and somebody had typed that in there. So that's why I was just, I was checking to see if somebody had put that in there wrong or how that was actually pronounced. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I think this kind of comes down to dialect because, um, you know, some yeah. people say Azul is Azul with that, with that S sound instead of the Z sound. Well, but I don't think I've ever heard that now. Well, I think I think the Spanish pronunciation would be Azul, but I think the Portuguese is more Z sound. So, right, really, just uh, I think it just boils down to dialect and and yeah. um, and regional influence. So, I, I can definitely vouch for that. I've I've heard plenty of different pronunciations of games, and that that's mainly from my wife because she's native Japanese, so she speaks things a lot differently than we do. <laughs> so, and also hopefully. Queenbra, is that like a language dependent game once you get it out on the table? No. Um actually there's there's no language at all. It's language independent. Thank you. So so really <laughs> um the the game has the only text in the game is some city locations and expedition locations, but it's completely artificial. It doesn't have any impact on gameplay. So uh everything else is iconography driven. Okay, that that's one thing I've noticed playing with my wife. She tends to, she'll she'll like the heavy heavier Euro games that we play, but she seems to catch on more when there's no text on the games, and she could just go with icons and everything else. And I know a lot of Eggerspiel titles do that, and coincidentally, she ends up enjoying a lot of those titles. Like she loves Great Western Trail. And Grand Austria Hotel, which I know is a different publisher, but since we're going with the same designers here, right? No, no, no. So I know it's and actually it's it's very interesting that you bring it up because talking to the the Eger team, uh, it's this is just a little aside, but um, their main developer uh, Victor, um, we're hanging out at, at Global, and I you know I just started talking to him about this, and and uh, he said that they oftentimes will start their their rules and instructions in English. Because they're very fluent in English, and and they got a good author to to help compose rules, but um, but they they their focus has always been on iconography, because they're they were a small German publisher, and they always viewed themselves as a small German publisher that just had international partners in the U.S. and international partners in France and stuff like this. So in order to make the game uh, as accessible and and lead up to production as quick as possible, you got take as much of that language dependency out and replace it with iconography so that you can you can get it to market sooner so that you're you know so that you know you give it to a partner they don't have to translate everything so you'll see i think you're going to see a lot more of that i think a lot of publishers do that now just because they don't want to release something and have to make you wait six months as um, someone translates it from german to english or whatever <laughs> I think we're coming close to the end. Eric, do you have any other questions? Because in looking at our list of questions, I think we've kind of knocked off everything we wanted to talk about, and we're hitting about the hour mark, which is about what we told Mike we'd keep him around for. So any other quick questions? No, I, th I think as far as publishing and games go, I think we got it all done. But, Joe, I know you got to ask your uh, your major question that you ask I'm everyone. I've stumped the host of the show. It's a, it's a you miracle. have. I mean, besides besides what you're playing now, that is exactly I mean, what I'm the, going for. You totally ruined that show. setup. I'm terrible. I, I'm... I didn't know that's where you're going because we've talked about well, we've talked about a lot of the stuff that he's been playing throughout the whole episode. So, okay. So, what is what's the most recent thing you've played? Um, 
the two most things, the two most recent, I know you only asked for one, but the two most recent things I played, uh, Castles and Burgundy Dice Game, which is um, a okay. fantastic little roll and right? If you like Burgundy, the board game, I really recommend it. It's uh, quite good. And um, Gaia Project's been hitting the table since it has solo rules. It is... Uh, I haven't played that yet. <laughs> big fan of Terra Mystica. I, mean, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated. I think I like Terra Mystica more personally. But uh, some of the fluidity in your decision-making um, and the fact that it scales better from two-player on up, it's a, it's a keeper. So I'm actually looking forward to breaking that one out at the game group tomorrow night. Lucky, nice, nice. Yeah. I'm jealous. Uh, yeah, we. I think Eric has Guy, and we have not had a chance to play it yet. We were supposed to play it, I think, last week, but I was actually started playing some other stuff. So we'll just we'll just skip past I, that. I have to, both of those games that, that you mentioned, and I I can vouch for <laughs> Castles of Burgundy Dice Game. That is that is actually quite nice. And then yeah, Gaia Project sitting on the shelf. Well, def definitely break it out. Um, I can tell you the rule book is not the strongest. So if you have a reviewer or a product explainer, you know, a rules explainer of choice, watch that before going in because there's a couple actions that I, just, I have to keep on having to going back to the rule book because it's just a little vague. But um, once you get your, once you get the wheels going, it uh, it, it feels very much like Terra Mystica. But once you get the wheels going, and it's good, it's very solid. I can't wait to play that one. All right, I think that's it. I think we are at the end of another episode. I would like to thank Mike for joining us this evening. And also Eric for joining me once again as a co-host of the show. I'm going to say goodnight to everybody, and we will throw some stuff on the end. Maybe Eric and I will discuss a few things and wrap up the show. But I would like to, like I said, once again, thank Mike for coming on to the show with us. We really appreciate him coming on. And everybody, go pick up a couple of Plan B games. They're all great. You can't go wrong with them. Thank you guys so much for having me. Enjoy your evenings. Hey gamers, this is Joe, and hopefully you really enjoyed the interview that we just had there with Mike from Plan B Games. We're really looking forward to some of the games that Plan B is going to be releasing this year. But until those games are released, you know what you can always do. Send me some emails. You can let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We do have a guild over there, guild number 2440. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at what I'm playing out. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say on Facebook. Just do a search for what I'm playing now. You can subscribe to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now, which was very active this past weekend as I was live at Cleveland Concoction and we were doing a lot of streams from the Protospiels um, department that they had out there. And I played some really good games that are still in development. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash what I'm playing now. But until next week, everybody, you know what to do. You go play some games and then let me know what you're playing now. You have a great week gaming and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye.